0: the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Duraev and Nick Braccia. Welcome to the MMA Geeks Podcast. Stan Dreyav, Nick Braccia coming at you and we're going to break down UFC 257. In which Dustin Poirier upset Conor McGregor in a huge one for Poirier's career, one that will go down as part of his legacy, I think it's safe to say, and one that really took away from Conor McGregor's legacy. We have actually quite a bit to discuss on this card. It's good to be on with you, Nikolai.
1: A couple of things, Stanislav. First of all, what happened to C level?
0: Well, I don't think anybody knows what that means, Nick. What the hell like I, what, like it doesn't mean that we're a subpar podcast doesn't it's exactly pun. entice
1: it's, it's self it's self-deprecating and an inside joke but okay i just didn't know that we had made the group decision to uh to to take it above sea level but um
0: i just feel like you, know, you perform better above sea level a, if,
1: if we get above sea level i'm worried about my breathing is <laughs> the <interesting> thing <laughs> Um, Oh, Jesus, I'm (laughs) exhausted. I'm already already winded. Uh, The other thing is, undefeated in 2021, undisputed, (laughs) the champion right now at 1-0-0, and you've got that winning percentage of zero, and I'm just like, what am I going to do from here? They're Bentleys calling, Rolex is sending (laughs) me watches. It's like I got Toyo tires on the line. It's crazy.
0: You know what you sound like? You sound like Conor McGregor celebrating after winning a close first round over Dustin Poirier, before, of course, getting knocked out in the second round.
1: <laughs> he, he seemed <laughs> he wasn't so.
0: Anyway, let's talk. No, let's, he wasn't. Let's, but Nick, you somehow have the gall to celebrate, even if Monog- Conor McGregor did. I'm playing around. I'm playing around. A I know bit. you are. So it was. A, uh, it was. But, a, but I, well,
1: it was an interesting week. I mean, let's let's talk. Listen, there's a couple things to talk about. First of all, the, the Wednesday card. There's not too much to say. Um, our girl, Ro- our girl Roxy got beat up. Um, she did. Rojo's got a uh, wait. What's the, what's
0: who did she fight? Viviana Arujo.
1: Arujo, yeah, she's got some snap to her punches. Um, she's yes, gonna be. She, she is. I think she's gonna find herself in the top four in that division um, pretty quickly. I don't understand how she lost to Jessica I, but. Uh, and then we saw Michael Chiesa, but with the ease with which he just commanded Neil Magny on the ground, um, surprised me a little bit. He's, a, he's trouble. He's trouble for people. He's a very, very good grappler. He's going to be, I think he's probably a worse striker than Damian Maia. But uh, man, he can, when he gets to fight where he wants it, he's, he's going to be a tough out uh, for people of that division. Uh, so that was yeah. He really is.
0: I mean, he kind I of was... made his uh, entrance into the division with wins over Carlos Condit and Diego Sanchez, both guys who were on losing streaks, both guys who were way past their prime, and then he dominated Rafael dos Anjos over three rounds. And I think a lot of people are sleeping on that win with the way that he dominated him. Uh, it was essentially just as dominant as this five-round Neil Magny win. He was able to get takedowns at will. His wrestling must have come up to a different level. He's always had really solid grappling, but I think um, his mental game is on a different level now, and so is his wrestling, and you're right. He maybe hasn't made the biggest improvements on his striking, but continuing to focus on his strengths has really worked well for him, and he's coming in here as a pretty serious, pretty viable contender at 170 pounds at this point, and I don't think anybody expected that to happen after his losses to Kevin Lee and Anthony Pettis, in which he was finished within six minutes in both cases.
1: Yeah. He, well, I mean, he got into positions of adversity briefly in the fight, and he rolled with it, you know, times when, when uh, he's, he was previously a guy who, when the tide turned, it turned quickly and violently against him. Yeah. Uh, and he, and he rolled with it and RDA is no one to sleep on. I mean, he did, he, you know, I think Felder, as much as I love Paul Felder is probably a little bit, um, overrated seeing as that he's not a, he's not a terrific wrestler grappler. And he, while he's an exciting striker, he doesn't clearly have a ton of power. Um, but RDA, you know, beat him pretty soundly. Um, so yeah, Kiesa's uh, Chiesa's problems at, uh, I think for people at 170 and, you know, how's, how's he match up with Usman or Colby? Like how's anybody match up with Usman or Colby or Gilbert Burns? I'm not sure, but uh, we'll find out. I'll tell you what I don't want to see is the fight that was announced, I I think, today, or at least leaked today, which is Vincente Luca against Tyron Woodley.
0: Well, I don't want to see any Tyron Woodley fight, to be fair. I know. But if they're going to have Tyron Woodley fight, he might as well fight somebody that he could put over. Otherwise, what's the point of Tyron Woodley, you know... Beating a really, really young like young guy that's just making his UFC debut, um, I, I think you've got to put him in a position where he could make somebody else look good, and that's. I don't think he deserves Vincenzo Luque.
1: Give him Brian Barberina. Let, Bar- let Brian Bar- Barberina punch
0: him around and get the it's rub. Pretty realistic, I think that he could beat Barberina, and, and like I think the UFC really you gotta doesn't throw, like the making him uh, that way. You gotta, yeah, you got to throw a punch point. to win a fight, though. You are um, not kidding, man. Uh, I will say though about about. Uh, about Michael Chiesa, at this point he's got a dominant win over Neil Magny, a dominant win over Rafael Desanos. Uh he's got a win over Carlos Condit, which still means something with Carlos Condit putting together a couple of wins recently, right? He's got a win over Benil Dariush, and he finished Benil Dariush by submission, where Darius is very strong. He finished Jim Miller by rear naked choke as well Francisco Trinaldo has got a win over. At this point, Ally Quinta, he had a win over from back in the Ultimate Fighter. So at this point, you got to give Michael Chiesa credit as a serious contender. And Neil Magny, who's been looking like gold for a couple of years now, he's been looking pretty untouchable. Granted, he had that bit of a layoff, but yeah, like uh, a know, year,
1: yeah, yeah. He's had I mean, a good but, year since but he, he
0: hadn't lost a fight in going on, like going on, oh, more, over three years, right? So he's he was really in a good point in his career. The only guy to beat, no, that uh,
1: not over three years, a little. A little over two years, two years and a, two years and a month, or two yeah two years and two months since he lost since he got knocked out by Santiago Ponzinibbio. Uh,
0: two oh you're right. And then he came back. He had a fourteen he had a fourteen you're
1: month break, and then he knocked he had victories over Lee, a very a dominant victory over Lee, a very close decision over Anthony Rock, uh, Tony Rocco, Rocco Martin. Martin. Yeah. And then he he and then the shadow of Robbie Lawler. He he uh he you know grappled the hell out of. And, right, and but Dino. to my
0: point, Kiesa looking so good and yeah. again a serious contender at one seventy. If you had to matchmake for Kiesa real quick before we move on to UFC Oh Boy, 257, oh boy. Oh boy. Uh, um, who would you I got I got I don't, I don't
1: have the ranking, let me pull up the rankings real quick uh-huh. and I will do that one for you. I mean I'd rather see him against Luke. I think that sounds fun, but he may have earned uh he may have earned a bigger fight than that. I don't know. Let's I don't uh, know if
0: Damian Maya is willing to come back. Uh, and fight somebody like Kiesa, but I would be open to that matchup. Steven Thompson, I think, would be in trouble for George Masvidal
1: is a lot of fun. Kiesa Masvidal would be a blast. Cause... They actually
0: fought a couple of years ago, if I remember correctly, oh, yeah. at 155, and I believe Masvidal finished him, if I'm not mistaken. Let me see quickly. I think you're right. I think he choked him out. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's interesting that uh, a grappler who... Who's like first couple of He's, losses in the UFC? He by got
1: subbed a bunch. Uh, he
0: really did by you know. Pettis, by Kevin Lee, by George Masvidal. None of these guys are known for really high level submission games. So really, well, I don't know if that's right true.
1: Anthony Pettis is is, ju- ju- is very well known for his jujitsu. It won him the title. I mean, he subbed he subbed both Gil Melendez when that meant something and Benson Henderson, right?
0: Yeah, but we're talking about 2018, Anthony Pettis, right? This is not. Yeah. This is not, not the guy that was running for anybody. As a matter of fact, right. outside of that one uh, submission, Anthony Pettis hadn't had a submission to this date, uh, ranging all the way back to when he beat Charles Oliveira in 2016. So. You know, yeah, he, he can beat a couple – it's funny, right? He can beat a couple of these grapplers that are clearly not well-rounded enough like Kiesa was back then and like Oliveira was, but both of those guys are way above him now in the rankings.
1: Here's the fight, and I think this fight this fight gets – gets um, creates a title. Uh, the winner of this fight should get a uh, title eliminator bout, which would be – and I love this style matchup here – Michael Chiesa and Wonderboy. Can Chiesa yeah. get inside against Wonderboy? A lot of people – have not had luck getting in uh, getting in on Wonder Boy like that I mean Woodley pushed him up against the fence Rory McDonald a terrific fighter and good grappler tried Iminari rolls up the wazoo and couldn't do it uh, Steven Thompson's not you know he's a tough he's gonna be a very very tough guy for uh, uh, KS at a corner but I think he could I think he could potentially do it that's a that's a matchup that has me asking all kinds of questions I don't know what's gonna happen. So that makes me want to see it. And you put the winner of that, uh, you know, up against, um, it could be the loser of Usman Burns, uh, or it could be Colby, you know, somebody for, for a title eliminator.
0: Yeah, that makes sense to me, except like, I honestly don't think that, despite Kiesa's dominance in his last two fights, I don't think his potential would bring him closer than top six in that division. Like, yeah, But he's
1: ranked, he's ranked number five right now, at least according to the, the MMA world rankings which don't have the UFC's you know uh, biases
0: on the UFC's think, uh, uh rankings he's ranked at number 8 which is below Damian maya which I think makes sense below Tyron Woodley I'm not so sure makes sense um and and let's say we put him right below Stephen Thompson right above him we've got Stephen Thompson George Masvidal Leon Edwards Gilbert Burns Colby Covington the only one of those guys that I think he has a you know decent shot at beating is george mosfadal and mosfadal is not trying to fight somebody like kiesa he's going to fight no, a he's bigger probably name not. you yeah, could give the the le- winner
1: the winner of edwards from uh uh Chumaev. Chumaev,
0: yeah that could be interesting i would be i would be very intrigued by that uh, and he's not one to really talk trash to Ch- to Chumaev, so i'm not sure that he would be excited about the matchup himself but yeah enough about wednesday's card let's get into usc 257 Let's talk about that main event, man. Dustin Poirier came in and put on the performance of his career. Not,
1: not what we expected. It, you know, Poirier had the same he had the same composure in the first round, uh, taking big shots as he did against Dan Hooker, who we'll talk about in a little while. And, you know, he ate Conor. You know, crossed his eyes and rattled his cage hard with a right hand. He got caught at the end of one of those signature Connor left hands. Um, and I thought that while the takedown was nice and while he was giving almost as good as he was getting, that I thought after the first round that while it was interesting and Conor looked a little concerned, um, Poirier kept his composure and ate the shots. And then he came back just so confident in that second round and he landed more of those calf kicks that I guess even Connor was checking, and this and connor has been great for, in defeat, really classy and also really descriptive in what happened, how the the kicks were still finding the meat of the calf despite him uh, checking them, and all of the you know all of the swelling uh, was in one place, really Im- immobilizing him, making a man who relies on his footwork to operate on a flat tire, um, which left. You know, Connor's movement really, really compromised. And I watched the finishing sequence in slow motion today. Um, and it's pretty amazing because, you know, Connor's movement, it, despite the fact that he, he's not so fast on his feet at that point, um, his head movement's pretty good. He eats a couple of shots, only one of them solid at first. And then he catches this, sh- he ducks his head down. And then he eats a, sh- a kind of a shoulder butt um, just by virtue of Poirier moving in. Um, but he dodged. He dodged the big shot, and then that's he tried that same technique um, after eating a couple of more shots. And as he put his, as he was putting his head down, he moved right into a six-six straight shot from Poirier. So Connor's momentum putting him right into Poirier's fist, and then and then he lost his. He then put him on his butt. Two quick strikes on the ground, but you know knocked a little silly and with one, with, with one unoperational wheel, um, Connor just quit. You know, he, I don't think, I don't think he was out. I don't know. He was certainly hurt, but I don't know how badly it just seemed like after he went down, he was like, I'm not getting up. And uh, Poye just fought. He, he just, he fought such a great fight. What are your what are your thoughts? That's everything I got to say right now.
0: I think that, the one, the part that I agree with you on most is one that Conor probably gave up. I mean, that's really the only way that we've seen Conor lose is not necessarily by... And when I say give up, I don't mean that he tapped, right? Like, there's nothing wrong with tapping if you are caught in a deep submission. But there is something different to be said about the way that he lost to Nate Diaz and Khabib where he voluntarily gave up the choke in hopes that the fight would end at that point because he didn't want to keep going. Um, it, it was it, like he, he literally turn on to turn his back to his opponent knowing that his opponent's a good grappler with his hands at his chest without the preparation to defend against the rear naked choke he let them both lock it in and he tapped as soon as they did right with Dustin Poirier everything started to go wrong with him late and he just decided this is it like my calf hurts i'm tired and he just buzzed me like i'm done and that's the impression that i got um this one is certainly more debatable in my opinion as to whether connor gave up or not but i think what really should be the focus of the breakdown of this fight is the brilliance with which poirier fought yeah in layman's turns connor barely won that first round and then poirier tagged him in the second round and won the fight, right? But there was a lot more to it than that. There was a lot more to it, I think, than just the calf kicks. Poirier came in there prepared in every way possible. Clearly, the team with Mike Brown and the crew put six or seven layers of his game plan together in order to make sure that he has the highest chance of winning this fight, and it worked so well. He walked into the fight, right? Ready to counter Connor's left hand with a right hook and a takedown. That's what worked on him or, for, with him early, right? Poirier gave Connor something to counter, and then Connor countered just like he always does with the left hand. Poirier slipped that and countered with a with a right hook as a fellow southpaw, right? To begin with, as a southpaw, it's much harder to land your left hand against a fellow southpaw than it is against an orthodox fighter, right? We saw that with Nate Diaz, where that left hand wasn't landing quite as easily in their first fight. Um, and and it was the case here, but there was more to it. The fact that Poirier was ready to lean back out of the way of Connor's counters. The fact that Poirier didn't throw three or four strikes, uh, at least with his boxing, early in the fight until he knew that Connor was hurt and basically done for. He was ready to counter Connor's left hand with his right hook. He did it early. He countered Connor's left hand uh, later on with his own takedown. He ducked right under the left hand and caught him off guard, took him down. Now here's the brilliance of that. Max and uh, uh, Max Holloway and Dan Harker both mentioned how strong Poirier was, and he looked stronger than McGregor in the clinch, right? Once Dustin went for the takedown, he didn't let McGregor out of grappling range for the next three minutes, and that's something that a lot of people are undervaluing. Clinch fighting and pummeling requires plenty of shoulder strength, right? And if you can get a boxer's shoulders tired by clinching, you will take his power and speed away from his punches. And it worked here for Poirier to take the sting out of Conor's punches. It worked brilliantly, right? Because Conor wasn't punching quite the same late in that first round. Almost every time Conor would land the left hand, it was not on the counter, right? Because Poirier was ready for that. It was, which is again, when Conor is most dangerous is when his opponent is leaning forward and Conor catches him with his weight right into the punch which gave Poria the moment to pull his head back, right? If, if Connor's throwing first, Poria has a little bit of a tick. He has a little bit of a, a moment to see it coming. And, even if some of those shots look like they landed, and Connor did land a couple of good, he had landed, as you alluded to, that clean right jab, followed uh, followed by his uh, missed left cross, and he did land that left cross pretty cleanly once as well. But that was really the only real notable part of Connor's offense. Outside of that, every left hand that Connor landed, Poirier was pulling back, which took almost all this thing out of that punch. Right, as Poirier started landing ca- landing calf kicks. It's a Connor's ability to put weight on that foot away and putting weight on the front foot is important in order to generate power into Connor's left hand. Right? So Connor uh, like if you watch the clip from the very end of the fight, Connor's feet were almost together. Not necessarily because he was rocked yet, but because he couldn't really trust having his feet out wide knowing that he couldn't put much weight on one of his feet. So he had to kind of put most of his weight on the good leg, which means both of his legs had to be close together, right? So Dustin had counters ready for Connor's counter. He pulled back from Connor's uh, initial attack when Connor was the one firing first, right? He tired his shoulders out by clinching with him for three straight minutes. He never let go of him, kind of Khabib style, um, for those entire three minute mark. Took power away by hurting his calf and took his base away from allowing him to move around, as you alluded to. Because of all this and Connor's cardio issues, Connor's punches were much slower in the second round. If you notice and, and rewatch that second round, Nick, um, he could barely land. Connor threw several combos and Poirier literally slipped them time and time and time again. Poirier made Connor whiff on his punches. Connor was slower in that second round, partially because his shoulders were tired from clinching, partially because of that calf kick, and because we all know Connor's much less dangerous a few minutes into a fight than he is in the first couple of minutes, right? When Connor looked tired, and there was a moment right before the finish where he showed that his leg was wobbly, right? Right after Poirier landed another one of those calf kicks, Poirier put the blitzing pressure on. He literally threw like a seven or eight punch combo, and Connor folded almost instantly, right? A lot of those punches didn't land. Connor was able to evade a couple of them, but he was up against the fence, and it was similar to the very end of that Floyd Mayweather fight, where Connor was exhausted and couldn't do anything except for try to get away from his opponent's offense. Um, and it did seem like you said, like Connor just kind of fell back while he was basically conscious with his hands by his sides, one hand kind of un- cradling his head as if to be comfortable in this position where he was uh, getting finished. Dustin Poirier needed the perfect performance to beat Connor McGregor, and he performed perfectly here. Um, I, I think that in the first fight, Connor got into Dustin's head and caught him with an elbow as his punch kind of missed. And in the second fight, Poirier outcrafted and out out-technique, to Conor McGregor. I think it was a virtuoso performance that, in my opinion, is better than that of Max Holloway, even though Holloway's opponent had more heart. Conor McGregor's name, the fact that he's won a couple of titles, the fact that he's beaten some high-level opponents, make this a truly exemplary performance early on in 2021, Nick.
1: Yeah, I mean, the other thing, to know, these guys are pretty much exactly the same age. I think Connor's a little bit a Connor's a little bit older, but Dustin's been in the UFC longer. I mean, he's been in the UFC for ten years. Yep. Um, <clears throat> and he was in Zufa before that, you know, with a couple of um, couple of WEC fights. So he's, you know, we've basically watched this watched this guy, you know, grow up and certainly take, you know, certainly take his lumps. I mean, this is a, this is a guy who. Um, You know, four years ago, got knocked out in the first round by Michael Johnson. um, And then had a big run and got a shot at Khabib. And, you know, took that defeat uh, like a man and came back extremely confident in that Dan Hooker fight, even after dropping, in my opinion, the first two rounds and, you know, took over. Um, So I, yeah, Dustin just showed a bigger, stronger, better, more mature, better prepared. And um Conor, you know, J.L. Sonnen said that he thought Conor looked scrawny. I didn't think that, um, but he did look, um, you know, he did, he did look a little slow. Uh, he looked caught off guard. I mean, this is this, like the Cerrone fight we can discount. Cause like Donald's, you know, been done for a while. Yep. Um, I think, but in the Khabib fight, he was caught off guard and put on his butt with a shot, you know, with that right hand. And then, uh, and then he got, he got touched up here. Khabib made a comment on uh the, the the one thing that Conor kind of snapped at was Khabib it was like well this is what happens when you you know you leave your team you leave your training partners yada yada I don't know the exact situation with Conor and who he's been training with but um or you know he says he says oh it's the it's the inactivity which might be the case but he was inactive before for longer before the Cerrone fight you know and he came back he came he went into that looking like a killer
0: yeah, that sounds like an excuse to me, and and he didn't make this much of an excuse prior. He did give credit to uh, Poirier's calf kicks, but that's really all that he credit, gave credit yeah. to. But but right, but he really gave like a good portion of the credit to the fact that he hasn't been active, which you know you can you can argue that he was blaming essentially Daniel White for not letting him fight over the past year when he wanted to come in and fight people like Diego Sanchez and Donald Cerrone, right? Like that was really Connor's uh, that was really Connor's plan is to beat some very beatable guys, and I think he tried to call the UFC's bluff by uh, over social media arranging this matchup with Dustin Poirier, this quote unquote charity exhibition. Um, right, right and and put the ufc in a position where they were like shit we're going to have to make this fight let's let's see if we can make this whole thing happen and it put conor in a position where because he tried to call the ufc's bluff he, they called his bluff and he ended up having no choice but to fight his toughest opponent since kabib if you really think about it nick like as far as dominant virtuoso performances correct me if i'm wrong but connor mcgregor has only had a single one of those and that was against eddie alvarez back in 2016
1: no well, well, jose aldo I
0: mean, well, I'm not talking about where Conor McGregor landed a single shot and a guy dropped. I'm talking about like a performance that shows that he is in a different league, not just that he has power in his left hand.
1: I think the Eddie Alvarez fight, I think the the first, you know, I think several rounds of the Nate Diaz fight, even though, you know, Nate is kind of a journeyman.
0: A Um, super close fight against a journeyman. But again, uh, a dominant virtuoso performance against top level. He Dennis was taken Sieber. down at will until Chad Mendez was exhausted yeah, because he got took tired, the fight yeah. on a few days' notice. Connor didn't look good, so like again, there's is there another fight? Yeah, Donald Cerrone he smoked in 40 seconds. Jose Aldo who smoked in 13 seconds, right? Uh, Nate, <laughs> well,
1: the, the, the Aldo thing was a was an enormous deal because we had never really seen Aldo in any trouble from offense like that.
0: No doubt, incredibly impressive, uh, a starching of a win, but again. When has he shown like a different league of craft over a top-level opponent? I think it's Al- only I mean, yeah, against Alvarez, that Alvarez. I, I, yeah. I
1: still contend that Alvarez really should have been fighting at 145. And Alvarez fought the dumbest fight possible.
0: He absolutely did. He literally ran right into his left hand every single chance that he possibly could. And if you look at uh, his record since then, and granted, he just beat Rafael Dos Anjos, Anthony Pettis, and Gilbert Melendez leading up into that fight. So, you know, he was still in his prime, at least least holding on to it by a bit. He then went on to beat Justin Gaethje, which was impressive. Lost to Poirier. Lost to uh, some 12 and 4 guy in ONE FC. And you know, coming off of a win now from back in 2019. But you know, there's an argument to be made that that Alvarez wasn't really himself, like wasn't really his full self. Obviously, he was mentally defeated. But Connor never really had just this dominant out, like out hustle and out technique, you kind of performance over a top level opponent. If Nate Diaz and you are neck and neck. And you're fighting at 155 pounds. That is not a good sign, man. L- let's let's be real, right? Nate Diaz beats lower-level opposition. He can beat uh, a guy where the stylistic matchup favors him, but he doesn't beat high-level opponents yeah, at all. Yeah, I
1: mean, the, the Connor the you know, Connor has done some spectacular stuff, but a lot of it's narrative, a lot of it's marketing, and for yeah. Dana and his power I mean, too, and his power. But for I mean, he was a dream for Dana, but. I mean, and and Poirier, as good as he is, he's you know he's a hard he's he's a a fighter that appeals to the hardcores. We've been watching him for a decade. He's a you know he's a classy kid. He's got a nice story, but like yep. nobody, none of the casuals, you know, a very very small percentage of the casuals um, have any idea who Dustin Poirier is. I I truly believe that.
0: Of casual MMA fans at this yeah. point, after beating I Conor still, McGregor,
1: I think I think there's casuals that watch like watch Conor fights. They would watch Brock fights. I'm talking about like like pop culture breakthrough, like put him in a commercial, you know, not not like an an ensemble commercial for
0: fans that only know Conor McGregor's name and John, John, and,
1: and John Jones, the people, that... Yeah.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm there with you. Up until this fight, they didn't know Poirier's name for the most part. I, I hear that.
1: Yes, that's what I'm saying. He was probably on par with Max as far as fame goes. And I, these are fighters that I love. I'm saying from Dana's point of view, selling pay-per-views with them as the draw is a struggle.
0: Yeah, oh yeah, pay-per-view, no, no doubt about it, especially uh, especially with, I mean, with Max, uh, I, I don't know that it's a struggle with Max, because I think he's beloved by Hardcore so much, and he's like a, clearly the number one fighter at, well, he was for the most part, number one fighter at 145, but yeah, Poirier, now that he's uh, tamed the beast, I think this is his first time where he was a good-sized underdog and, against like a top level fighter or at least someone conceived to be and he just completely out out technique them. If you look at his like recent record, Poirier's been looking so so good for several years now. If you yeah, we know about the Conor McGregor loss, we know about the Michael Johnson loss, right? In both cases he was caught in a bad And could
1: and Khabib. You know, Khabib beat him pretty, like, pretty soundly. But Khabib beats everybody pretty soundly.
0: Oh, no, no doubt. Yeah, yeah. And, and he did have Khabib in a little bit of trouble for a moment there. Not only with the guillotine attempt.
1: I, I mean, he had, he had him circling for like a second, you know. I mean, yeah, I mean, he, yes. he
0: had Khabib running after taking a big shot. And I didn't give enough credit to Poirier's power. You and I spoke and agreed last week that Poirier has more power than Max Holloway. Not quite as much as Conor McGregor. And I think that's that's still the case. But I still think I should have given him more credit for his power. And
1: Yeah, um, Maybe, maybe not as much as McGregor. He, I mean, it's true. He had a lot, he had a lot of pop. I don't know if he has as much as, maybe he has more than Gagey. I I mean, I'm not going to accuse Dustin Poirier of not having power (laughs) after this fight and what he did to Dan Hooker's like face and, you know, in the last one.
0: I mean, I'll put it to you this way. His last many fights, right? He beat Jim Miller, Anthony Pettis, Justin Gagey, Eddie Alvarez, Max Holloway, Dan Hooker, conor mcgregor and in that time frame he only had one loss and that was to khabib i mean that's incredible
1: yeah no the only the only lightweight that's been better is khabib
0: yep yep in many many years so with khabib gone i think like Poirier has a point
1: oh i agree he should be the champion
0: he might not be the actual champion he might not hold the title but he should be i agree i'm yeah he I'm should absolutely be. that was
1: dana dana did not do that because he was holding out for the khabib payday because dana doesn't understand how khabib operates as a human being because he can't relate to it
0: Yeah. And and by the way, did I not tell you that this whole Dana claiming that Khabib said he would fight someone if they had an incredible performance? Max Holloway had a fantastic performance. Uh, you could argue that Chiesa was dominant, but it wasn't like anything special. Uh, Michael Chandler had a phenomenal performance. We're going to get into that shortly. Yeah. And Poirier had a phenomenal performance. So clearly Khabib never said that if someone does something special, I will come back. That was just Dana trying to celebrate view. It was Dana being Dana. He lies about what other fighters say all of the time. And this was just a situation in which he used it to prop up the pay-per-view, maybe get a few more eyeballs on it. And it ended up selling 1.6 million pay-per-views at least, which is amazing.
1: Yeah, he was he was trumping around. And the – I mean, so what's next? The question now is he doesn't have the title. So what's yeah. what's next for Poirier? And I just – we're going to transition into the Chandler talk. But I agree with Poirier. I wouldn't – if I'm him, I don't want to fight Michael Chandler.
0: Yeah, I, I hear where he's coming from. Michael Chandler has not earned his dues. We just listed all the wins that Poirier's has had. Does Michael Chandler really? Do we really put him on par with Poirier now after a single win?
1: And I don't think McGregor should get to run it back. I think he give it to Charlie. I think absolutely not. Let Dustin and Charlie Allis fight for it after what he just did to, um, after what he just did to Ferguson. I think that's a. I think that's a, a good fight, and they bo- they've both been around for over a decade. Um, I think that's a great. I think that's a great, great fight. And then you can do, you can do McGregor Gagey. You can do Hooker Ferguson. Um, you know, there's there's other stuff you can do uh, underneath those guys. And and yep. or you could put Chandler. Um, you could put Chandler together with any number of, uh, of fighters um, at one fifty five. You could do, you could do Chandler Gagey, which I think would be really interesting.
0: Well well let's uh, l- like I think the Olivera matchup is the only one that makes sense unless Justin Gaethje wants to run it back but Gaethje's coming off of a loss with Ian, a two fight win streak.
1: Yeah, I don't think Gaethje gets to run it back coming off of a loss.
0: Yeah, I'm there I'm there with you.
1: I think Charles Olivera, you've got it's a great story. You've got two guys who started essentially as children a decade ago, 20 nothing years old. Yep. And are, and have
0: and literally had to learn on the job against the best in the world. Took their licks, took their losses. Have really put their entire games together, and are now on the cusp of one or the other becoming lightweight champion.
1: And they were the also they were the also ran guys for a long time. Other guys made their names off them, and it was all you know Ferguson, Gagey, McGregor, Alvarez, Dos Anjos. Yep. Um, you know, there've been all these guys float for years floating around 150 at the top of 155. While Oliveira and Poirier, like you know, scuffled in, in the top fifteen, and they're there now. So give it. I just say give it, give it to them. Let these other guys lick their wounds and earn their earn their way up. And yeah, Chandler's close, but not yet. I also, don't, I just think the guy acts like a doofus. I don't, I don't, I, I don't like him. I also, I also think I, I wouldn't be shocked if he's gonna pop because he definitely looked like he had, uh, he, he looked like he had HGH stomach to me oh
0: Nikolai throwing up fighting words. Uh, yeah, let, let's get into the uh, the matchup between Michael Chandler and Dan Hooker. Uh, we picked Dan Hooker because we expected that he was going to be his normal self, and he did fight differently in this one. I think a fair. lot he of it...
1: he looked miserable from the walkout. He did not look like he wanted to be there at all. Um, Sorry,
0: I, I'd though. like to, I'd like to re. No, but no worries. I'd like to rewatch the walkout. I'm not, I'm not sure that I registered that. But it did seem to me like the once the fight started, he had like really one game plan and there was no second or third gear. And his game plan, seems to me, was to land those calf kicks. Because Michael Chandler had recently lost a fight via calf kick, uh, I, I think that was the beginning and end of his plan. And, and I think he was almost a little bit surprised by Michael Chandler's pressure, which if he had watched as much footage on him as he said he did, he should have known that Michael Chandler was going to pressure with fakes and work his way into a right hand. And there was an interesting tactical dynamic in this fight, right? We had these two matchups in which McGregor has more horsepower, more power in his uh, rear hand, Versus Poirier, who should be the better tactician, who doesn't quite have the same power or athleticism, maybe, but but should you know has more experience at a at a high level, you can argue, and and uh, more skilled overall. And Chandler, it's the same thing. He has more horsepower, heavy right hand versus Hooker, who's got a lot more high level experience and overall skills. Right on paper, these matchups did look somewhat similar, and Chandler came through as the guy with more horsepower. He started pressuring with feints right away, which he often does. Uh, Hooker was consistently moving laterally away from Chandler's right hand, which wasn't a stupid thing to do. The problem is that Hooker wasn't really stopping to, uh, initiate really to get respect from Chandler. Chandler seemed surprised that Hooker did not want to engage. Right. So he began throwing right hands to the body and and like on paper, right? Hooker saw this. If I saw this, Hooker, given all his experience, uh, it was in order to set up the overhand right to the head, which is really Michael Chandler's big power shot that he's known for. Right. And then suddenly he started going to the head, and this time it was harder. This time it seemed a little bit less like a setup, but like maybe Chandler was trying to land it. And I kind of bought into it, like Hooker did, right? Hooker thought all he wants to do is set up that heavy right hand. He doesn't really have much else. And as Hooker circled to his right, toward Chandler's left hand, it turns out that Chandler had another layer to his game plan. It turns out that Chandler was ready to throw that big left hook to follow the right hand if the right hand didn't land. And because Hooker was circling, toward michael chandler's left hand he walked right into that wallop of a left hook this is actually the second fight in a row that michael chandler won with a left hand instead of a right hand even though he's known for serious power in his right hand he beat benson henderson in his last bellator about also with the left hand but he was in southpaw position when he did it um I, i think that chandler was given confidence by hooker's timidity and that's when he started to just like he just decided you could tell at one point to just go for it And Chandler's a guy who normally fights without fear, even though he's been finished or I think four out of his five losses were because he was finished because he's fearless. Right. But he he hasn't really learned from that. And it worked out well for him against Hooker, who was fairly timid, who seemed to have learned that he shouldn't engage as much from his prior couple of fights. And, man, did Chandler make the most of that UFC debut. He came on that mic afterward, called out be properly. Like, you should if you really want to get the attention, if you really want to get people to talk about you. And if it wasn't for Poirier's big upset, I think a lot more people would be talking about Chandler's big win. But, look, this was very, very impressive. By Chandler, he did it in the first round. We still have questions about potentially his conditioning. Um, maybe have questions, at least in your case, about whether or not he can uh, long term go through Usada and continue to test. Yeah, negative. well, and about
1: his chin. I mean, he's a guy that's been knocked out a bunch. Uh, Patricio Pitbull put him down not too long ago. Um, he had several losses to Will Will Brooks, right?
0: Two losses. Yep.
1: Yeah, so he's a you know he's a guy that's been beaten before, and he's he's not young. He's in his mid thirties. Um, but let's you know. But Hooker did not. Hooker did not seem right. I don't know if it was. It it was. Yeah, it was very very strange. He just looked like a he looked like a scared elf who got assaulted by a uh, aggro hobbit.
0: I mean, I think if you look at Hooker's last several opponents, the only other pressure fighter he fought in the last few years was Dustin Poirier. And Poirier also beat him. Poirier could have done that more cleanly if it was more defensively minded, but I think it was the pressure that threw him off in a big way.
1: Yeah, Um, I mean, well, not complete. You know, who else is a tremendous pressure fighter? Is Gilbert Burns, right?
0: Yes, sir. Especially recently. Uh, But he he wasn't really back then. He wasn't as confident. His chin wasn't the same. There were a lot of variables in that matchup.
1: Yeah, but Gilbert Burns knocked him knocked him similarly silly.
0: Well, actually, Dan Dan Hooker knocked out Gilbert Burns.
1: Oh. You're right. I'm sorry. I was
0: yeah. That was back at 155.
1: Okay. Sorry. I was. I had reversed that in my head. No. But he did take. He did take a lot of hits against Felder and Poirier. I don't know. It was a bummer. Um. I mean, definitely interested to see, um, who's next. You know, who's next for Chandler. Who would you pair him up with I next? Think...
0: I think Justin Gaethje is it. I think that would be a I mean, phenomenal Gaeth- fight.
1: Yeah. I mean, you're deal. You're dealing with two completely insane wrestle boxers who are not going to yep. stop moving forward. Like. <laughs>
0: that's that just exciting it's just to me. I'm into that.
1: Yeah, it's just who's got more power, and it's the really, it's also like a it's a dream fight. I mean, you've got guys who you know eight years ago, seven years ago, were the, you know, I mean, as as Melendez was outside of the UFC for a while at Strike Force and Alvarez also um, in a variety of leagues, including Bellator, where he split he split fights with um with Chandler. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's a, it's kind of a fantasy fight, and they're both they're both still uh you know still good enough um I think. I don't know who I would take in that. I'd be rooting for Gagey, but I don't know who I don't uh you know, I'm not sure. I think I I think that I would pick Gagey, but I'm not entirely certain.
0: Yeah, I would need to watch tapes to to feel confident, but I think I would probably edge toward Gagey just sitting here now. Um I I will say though for for Gagey he's now in a position he's kind of in a precarious position. This is a risky fight for him, right? Um, I think he will take it. I think he'll say yes to anything. And Poirier's like very clearly said he doesn't want to fight him next. And it's this weird situation where the UFC is definitely going to try to pressure Dustin Poirier to fight Michael Chandler. They're probably going to get him to do it unless Charles Oliveira's management makes a real good argument. And makes it clear that Charles Oliveira is clearly the deserving one being in the top three right now. But we've got this weird dynamic of lightweight. I'm looking at the rankings now. We've got Gaethje, Poirier, Oliveira, McGregor, Ferguson, Hooker, Dos Anjos, Paul Felder. None of these guys are young up and comers.
1: The UFC has, as what we talked about a couple weeks ago, right? I mean, with, as a, as a result of the Reebok deal and the trickle down money that others, that the variety of sponsors, global sponsors provided is what kept those other international leagues going. And they're not, they're not there anymore. So outside of like really, really wrestling centric cultures, like in Dagestan, you're not, there aren't a lot of prospects right now. I really think that's what's happening.
0: I wonder if it's because of that or because like the UFC is not really letting the new guard come in and face some of these upper level guys, right? Islam Makachev. When is Islam Makachev going to fight an elite, elite one.
1: Yeah, that's one guy and he's Dagestani, right? Like, Benil um, Benil
0: Dariush, I know that he's had his losses. I I, I get that. But when is he going to get in there? Diego Ferreira? I know that he fought Anthony Pettis.
1: Well, Islam Makachev had a fight canceled. He's fighting Drew Dober, who's also an up-and-comer on, in, in like six weeks.
0: Drew Dober's number is 15. Makachev number 13. Let's have both of these guys matched up with somebody in the top 10. Yeah. We've got RDA. We've got Dan Herker. Paul Felder. Like, like these are the guys that should be going up against the Diego Ferreira's, the Drew Dober's, the Islam Makachev's, right? M- throw even Benil Daryush and yeah. Gregory Gillespie in there. Like, this Kevin oh, Lee going Still... for a
1: payday. We're not going to see. Gregor. I don't think we're going to see Gregor go S B again. Um...
0: Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know why he's been missing. I, I feel like he may have, uh, maybe has had a fight scheduled since, but it just seems like they're not letting the new guard in. And and maybe it's that the new guard is wasn't outside of these couple of guys that we mentioned, like Dober and uh, Diego Ferrer. Maybe those guys weren't really ready. For the very top. I mean, Ferrer did fight uh, Dustin Poirier a few years ago, and he clearly wasn't ready for it. He had a good first round, if I remember correctly, but he wasn't quite ready for that level yet. I think he's ready now. I want to see some of these matchups happen. I know that Paul Felder fancies himself a top-level fighter. He's never had a top-level win. And, like, if he doesn't want to fight those lower-level up-and-comers, then let's take him out of the rankings. He doesn't belong at number yeah, eight, right?
1: I'd love to see. I'd love to see Felder fight Fiziev. I'd love to see Felder fight Brad Riddle. He should be fighting those guys.
0: I'm into that, but Felder only wants special fights as if he somehow earned special fights. He's a great announcer, right? He's great on the mic. I really enjoy him there, but he's never been an elite lightweight, and I think it's more just his likability and the fact that he's willing to fight just about anyone. That puts him at number eight. What other reason is there for Paul Felder to be number eight in the world? He hasn't beat anybody above him, and let me see. He hasn't beat Diego Ferreira, who's below him. Ally Quinta, he hasn't beaten. Kevin Lee, he hasn't beaten. Benil Dariush, he hasn't beaten. Makachev, he hasn't beaten. Like, Who has Paul Felder beaten to be at number eight? I have no idea. And it's weird that he's taken up that spot when he's not really willing to continue to come up the division. Um, It's odd to me. By the way, Dan Hooker, after the fight, ended up taking his gloves off and going through all the trouble of doing that, laid the gloves down and walked out of the octagon. I don't know if that was emotion on his part, but it does seem like he at least was thinking retirement at the time. And I've previously heard the head coach uh, up at City Kickboxing, uh, Eugene Behrman, Talk about how Dan Hooker is a good example of a guy who, after all the punishment he's taken over the years, is not really the same. He's not really uh, able to put everything out into a fight as he normally would have back in the day. I wonder if, if the combination of factors, including his team, maybe not really believing in him and coming off of you know a rough patch over the last couple of years. I wonder if Dan Hooker really is done. That would be a shame. But if he is, let's take him out of the rankings. Let's move somebody else up. Let's get this division rolling, man. There's a lot of talent around this weight class, and I'd love to see it developed.
1: Yeah, it went from being the hottest. You know, These guys have kind of neutralized each other um, in, a, in a lot of ways.
0: Yeah, in a lot of ways they have. And then you have the same names continuing to fight each other near the top. When, when again, like these these up and comers are either not ready, and maybe they're not, yeah. uh, or, and maybe this division is just kind of mediocre at this point, and 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 maybe that's the case. And obviously, we have a couple of guys at the top who are pretty awesome. But, yeah, man, lightweight used to be special. I don't know that it is anymore. Speaking of special, Joanne Calderwood, Jessica I. Joanne did what you and I expected. Um, Jessica Ai has a lot of trouble with fighters that throw consistent nonstop kicks. If you're going to box with Jessica I., as Viviana Rujo learned, she can do really well against you. She's a strong physical girl. But Joanne Calderwood did a really good job of nonstop output, nonstop uh, offense with her kicking game, and it was more than enough to beat Jessica I with a clear-cut unanimous decision
1: very enjoyable fight. You know, I it didn't give me any confidence that JoJo can give Shivshanko a run. No. But maybe she's or you know, maybe she's earned the the chance. I mean, if it's going to be now, if it's going to happen, it's going to be now because there's a there's a lot of talent in that division.
0: I think this is just crazy. Stuff. She is 2 and 2 in her last four fights. She is 1 and 1 in her last two fights. How in the hell is she getting a title shot?
1: Well, that divi- that because that division's a mess.
0: We got Lauren Murphy, who's on a big win streak. Granted, uh, like nobody major on her name list, even though she's got a couple of good opponents there, right? We've got Jessica Andraj, who deserves a title shot based on her work at uh, uh, one division down, and based on the fact that she beat Caitlin chukegan Chukeyan's not an easy girl to beat, right? Like very few people can 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 say that they clearly beat Chukeyan. I think we've got a couple of contenders who are above Joanne Calderwood. I'd love to see Calderwood get another win or two. Oh
1: yeah, Andrade, I mean, Andrade definitely. Jessica Andrade gets the next shot, like no doubt.
0: Yeah, I, I hope so. And after that, Lauren Murphy should be should be on tap. I wouldn't mind seeing Murphy face Joanne, although that's risky, I guess, in case Joanne uh, wins. But then Joanne may have earned the title shot that way. I think that uh, a good matchup would be Joanne versus Shukagian again, I, I guess. Um, but let me see the rankings quickly in that division. This is one 125 women's division. Yeah, I, I really feel like the next couple of uh, title shots should be spoken uh, for. Or Murphy
1: needs a bigger win before she gets
0: a title shot. How about Roxanne Matafari versus JoJo? I know that we like both they're, fighters. They're, team, you and I would they're hate teammates. F- oh, you're right. They are teammates at Syndicate MMA. Yeah.
1: They're teammates, and JoJo's either married or engaged or at least dating Roxy's coach. So I don't... I think that would be a disaster.
0: Yeah, you're right. That would there would be no chance of that happening. I guess in that case, I wouldn't mind seeing uh, JoJo go up against somebody like Cynthia Calvillo, um, possibly or Viviana Rujo.
1: Yeah, that's the fight. I mean, that's the fight to make. She just beat her teammate.
0: Yeah, um, I'd be into that, and 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 it would be a great prop up for for Rujo. And Arujo would, if she can get that win, would get a win over somebody uh, that beat Jessica I, who beat Arujo. So that would kind of presumably put her past I in the rankings, and she wouldn't necessarily have to fight I, since I uh, is now what is she one and four in her last five fights. So, yeah, an interesting situation there. Another phenomenal performance, and you expected this, and so did I, by Mahmoud Muradov over Andrew Sanchez. He outworked Andrew Sanchez, out-hustled him, out-techniqued him. His angles, his footwork... His boxing offense, his kicking offense, everything was in place. But who is the kind of guy who gets stronger as the fight goes on? And that's why he got his uh, second, third round knockout in a row, right? He he built. He does really well. He does well in that first round, really well in the second round, and then he's just firing on all cylinders as his opponent starts to tire a little bit. This is the second kind of wrestle boxer that he fought between Trevor Smith and Andrew Sanchez, and he made short work of all of both of them in that third round at least.
1: Yeah, he's your uh, he's your countryman.
0: That's right. That's right, Nikolai. They make us tall, slender and uh, good strikers, I, I I guess in Uzbekistan. Um, and then uh, Marina Rodriguez with a huge upset over Amanda Rebus. Uh, I, I mentioned last week how as much as I picked Hebus because I expected she would be able to get enough takedowns to get a decision. I talked about how her one loss was to Pollyana Viana by knockout, which shows that her chin is taggable. And that's yeah. exactly what happened in this matchup. There were mistakes that Rebas did as well, right? When she... Like, she basically got top position and rode it out uh, in the the majority of that first round in top position. But really, in the first couple of minutes, when she was being a little bit aggressive, she just threw her 1-2-1 combo, right? And she kept her head right in the center line. I remember thinking, like, if she keeps doing that, she's going to get tagged by Marina Rodriguez. And that's exactly what she did in that second round, Nick. She walked with her head straight in the center, center line with her right hand lead. And Marina Rodriguez did what a seasoned striker does. She took her head off the center line, landed her right hand while making Amanda Hibas miss, tagged her badly, and then finished her by TKO. It was a pretty special performance by Rodriguez, who, let's face it, at this point, yeah, I know she has a couple of draws in the UFC, but her one loss is to Carla Esparza. She won two rounds over Cynthia Calvillo. She won two rounds over Randa Marcos, even though both those fights went to a draw. She beat Tisha Torres, who is back looking like a killer again. She's
1: a problem. Yeah, knockout power um, in this division is rare. There's not a lot of there's not a lot of uh, of KOs like that.
0: I also think it was a stylistically good matchup against a girl who, although she's talented, has a mediocre chin, and that's the thing. There aren't a lot of girls at the top uh, portion of that 115 pound division who, you know, are are susceptible to knockouts. And at this point, you got to say that Amanda Ibbs certainly is.
1: Yeah, I mean, the next fight for her, the one I'd love to see, um, I'd like to. See. I'd like to see her fight freaky eyes, uh, Virna Genderoba. I think that'd be really cool.
0: Is that Hebas? I'd like to
1: fight He Boss. I'd like to see Hebas fight her.
0: Who would you match up Rodriguez with?
1: Rodriguez has bigger things ahead. Um
0: let me check out let me check out that division. Claudia Gadelha, Nikolai, what do you think?
1: Uh, I actually think she should jump Gadelha. Gadelha, who uh you know, lost wait, her yeah, I I mean she lost her last fight uh to Jan go jam it, Jonan I think is how you pronounce yep. that.
0: I, I think that's um, pretty she, close.
1: And I think that she should have lost to uh you know to Angela Hill. I um Huh. I actually think that Rodriguez should probably get
0: Angela Hill could be a great matchup.
1: Yeah, but she's coming off a a loss too. I think she has a fight set. Maybe she doesn't. No, she's coming off that very close waterson I I think I think Angie should let's get, I want to give Angie a fight she can win next for sure because she's she's gotten sort of jobbed a couple of times I would do uh Jan Jonan and and uh marina Rodriguez I think that's the fight
0: yeah I'd be interested in either Jeannon or Michelle Watterson or Cadelia I don't know if Nina Ansaroff is coming back soon I don't know if she's had uh, her baby yet? I know she was pregnant last time. Uh, last time I saw a video or a picture of this her.
1: This is this is not Nina Ansarov's weight division. I don't think.
0: Yeah, it is 115. That's where she's competed.
1: I thought Nina Ansarov was a bantamweight. No. She's Am number five at
0: 115 pounds.
1: Huh. I'm looking at the MMA world rankings. I guess go, so I'm gonna.
0: Remember, she has a she has a win over Angela Hill. Um, who else has she beaten? She's beaten. A uh, couple of decent fighters need to answer off. I mean, she's at number five right now in that division, even though she's been off huh. for quite a while.
1: You, you keep checking the UFC rankings. I'm on the I'm on the the rankings that aren't like cheetah rankings. But you're, you are correct. You know, you're correct. I'm totally wrong.
0: The reason I look at the UFC rankings is because uh, even though I agree with you, the journalists that make up those rankings aren't, like, really knowledgeable about MMA, those are the rankings that I think influence matchmaking.
1: It's how the matchmaking gets made. Yeah. According to what I'm looking at, Ansaroff's fighting April 10th against Mackenzie Dern.
0: Oh, fascinating. So she is coming back in, in, a, in a few months. Um, very cool. I, Tatiana in Suarez matchup.
1: is the one that's been kind of M- MIA. After only Yeah, she
0: really has. And by the way, she why is she not ranked if she beat Answer off recently? Where the heck is she? That's weird, right?
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't know what her deal was. She, I don't think she got suspended or anything.
0: Yeah, she could because she's she's like a real prospect in the division. Uh, but outside of that, Nick just quickly going to breeze through Armand Yukon. Basically, dominated Matt Frivola. He's a Armand is a real prospect, and I think he got a much less dangerous matchup against Frivola than he would have uh, against. Uh, oh. Uh, Nazarud Hakparast, and then uh, Brad Tavares did really well against Antonio Carlos Junior. We were wrong on that one.
1: I got yeah, we were wrong on this one.
0: Tavares had enough power to buzz him a few times. Uh, I think with Tavares, it's very simple. If you're not dangerous standing you're not like a super high level wrestler. He's probably going to do well. He's got really good wrestling defense and he's got really good technique standing as long as you can not outpower him. Right.
1: He was really in shape too. He was in terrific shape. Yeah. He looked, he looked up, he really McMahon, did man. McMahon paying This is the one that, that resulted in my victory that made, that showed me to be the superior picker in 2021.
0: Oh, Nikolai, by the way, seriously speaking, congratulations on leading for the first time in probably three years.
1: That's not true. I led for the first half of the first season um
0: yeah for the first few episodes congratulations on leading for the first I, time in three years so. well, you're <laughs> but... always bringing
1: up the past and i'm just I'm right, <laughs> right now i'm undefeated and i knew that juliana peña's athleticism her youth her uh tenacity would outlast um sarah mcmahon who mcmahon mcmahon physically looked like a million bucks but she just it's hard to teach an old dog new tricks and she like she rest, you know, she can wrestle you down. She's a good grappler, but she doesn't do much once she besides hold the position. And Pena just Pena never stopped uh, trying. She never stopped fighting. She had a super active guard, um, and I mean, I had her winning. You know, I had her winning the fight.
0: She definitely lost round one, but she definitely outstruck Sarah McMahon even from her back at yeah. round two. So she took that round, no question. And yeah, you're right, her tenacity. And Sarah McMahon, like for some reason I thought at forty years old, she looked pretty good in her last fight. She didn't slip on a banana peel, even though she dominated early as she usually does, right? But she she went to right back to her old ways. I should have known better. For a girl like Juliana who gets, you know, generally stronger as the fight goes on. For a girl like Juliana who has really good submissions, that is the worst possible style matchup for Sarah McMahon given her history. And you made the right pick and I made the wrong one. So I give credit to you for that one, buddy.
1: It wasn't, it wasn't looking good in the first round.
0: Uh, and then Khalil Roundtree, man. Oh,
1: God. that was a, This is a bad pick by both of us. But, man, 100%. what a terrible fight.
0: I mean, no, it actually wasn't a bad fight. I thought it was a competitive striking bat. It's just two guys with very low ceilings who, you know, kind of suck uh, going at it. I, I thought it was entertaining.
1: They didn't throw any friggin' jabs. They're just like getting as much air as they can and and, and, w- and winging hooks. I hate that. Such a- I don't know. I don't like that.
0: shit. No, I, I do. I do hear where you're coming from. But Prochnya showed like a level of heart that he didn't get the chance to show before. He got buzzed badly in that second round.
1: Oh, yeah, he was hurt badly in the second. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and, and then he'd outworked Khalil Roundtree. We thought Roundtree was going to be faster. We thought he was going to hit harder, which we were right about both, I think. But Prochnik clearly has more heart. Uh, Khalil Roundtree is definitely missing that, and to make him such a heavy favorite, I think you and I spoke about how like you can't really trust that guy, and there's a reason that even though he was a big favorite, we picked them later on in our draft competition. That's
1: what I just want to say. That was a fight. That was a that was a fight from the Gian Vellante school of mixed martial arts, which I'm just not
0: a fan of. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. That, there I'm with you. It, it, it was it wasn't not entertaining, and Gian Vellante fights are usually entertaining. It just wasn't filled with a whole lot of tact, uh, tactics or high level skill. I definitely there with you. Uh, Mofsar Evloev you know for the most part dominated Nick Lentz I think uh, there's an argument to be made that he lost the first round because of Lentz's very tight submission uh guillotine attempts but uh, I just feel like you know, I still probably would have given Evloev all three rounds but I see the argument for one round going to Lentz Given a couple of tight submission defense uh, attempts, and then Amir Al Bazi Nick came in, looked really good, like every bit the fourteen and one prospect he is now against Jalgas Jumagalov, who's got uh, good experience against some high level fighters. Uh, Amir Al Bazi, uh, I underrated him a bit. I expected this to be close, but he came on strong in that second and third round, looked really good. So I'm impressed by this kid. I'm looking forward to seeing him compete in the near future.
1: I mean, it was just a good. It was a good night of MMA.
0: Yeah, really really the
1: years off the years off to a pretty good start. We had great Max we had great, you know and uh and like it's interesting like the Conor situation becomes interesting right now. Like in his, since the Khabib fight um he's been pretty classy. He's been classy with his opponents, he's been a good sportsman.
0: Yeah, I think I think it's because he has multiple rape accusations and and making babies with strippers and and and, you know, stomping on fans phones and and punching an old man in the face. I think like this is part of his rehab. He's a smart guy and he realizes that he can't continue to seem like the bad guy toward his opponents and stay likable, given all of the real world accusations going around, going on around him. So I, I think this is just part of
1: season. You, you think it's all bullshit? Or-
0: Uh, but not bullshit. Like I think, I think Connor's not a. I don't think he's like a mean, inherently mean guy. I just think that he knows what's better for his career now, and like his old salesman tactics of just talking complete shit and dressing down his opponents, getting into his opponent's head is less necessary now because he's almost kind of naturally in his opponent's head already given his history, right? And he's also naturally going to sell pay-per-views given the name that he's built up over the years. So I, I just think he's he's made a calculation and it's a good one. I just, for his sake, wish that he was as calculating when it comes to fight tactics. I wish that he would train under a better coach than really shitty John Kavanaugh who has never put out a halfway decent fighter, not named Conor McGregor and under his tutelage, Conor McGregor's faltering in a big way as well. So like, I I think like him having a good team behind him would really help instead of this kind of ho-hum team of guys that haven't really shown the ability to produce high level fighters.
1: I wonder if this will prompt it because I'll tell you what, man, the guys in the top 10 at one fifty five are not going like the guy that we saw uh, fight Poirier. And a lot of those guys have been in there against Poirier are not going to have Connor in their head in the same way now that they've seen him, you know, uh, you know, falter under a, a stiff, a stiff straight. Right.
0: I agree. I think next Connor is going to like the best fighter that he'll be willing to fight in the near future. In my opinion, despite Nate the is. fact that, uh, Nate, exactly. And outside of that, I think he's going to go for a Diego Sanchez, uh, kind of matchup, right? Like somebody that he knows for sure that he can smoke, and just blow out of, out of the water in the first couple of minutes like he likes to set these matches up for himself he was fighting to he uh, was like actually attempting strongly to fight Diego Sanchez to convince Dana White to let him smoke Diego Sanchez last year. And, you know, he's, he's going to go right back to that kind of logic. If not Nate Diaz, um, I, I just feel like uh, either Nate or Connor against Poirier are not going to do well in all reality. I think Poirier roughs up both guys as we saw him rough up McGregor this last time out. And yeah, I, I really do hope that Poirier can get his hands on that undisputed belt. And maybe, who knows, maybe, uh, maybe if some extremely hot prospect comes up at one fifty five, I don't know where it starts dominating everybody, maybe Khabib will consider coming back in a year or two. But I think the book is probably written on Khabib. I think he's committing to this retirement, man. Good for him. Yeah, agreed, man. I I this is one retirement that I believed when he first made it. And, you know, I, I didn't doubt it very much when Dana White came out with his bullshit proclamation, given that I've seen uh, interview after interview of Khabib in Russian, in his native language, talking about how he has no interest in coming back. He has nothing to accomplish. He's made everybody in the top three or four give up. Why would he keep going in there? And and he's right. He's he's done, and, and I and I give him all the props for being able to put in the cleanest MMA career in the history of the sport. Uh, second place to that would probably be George St. Pierre, and I think that's probably the only realistic matchup that uh, could be would come back for in the near future. Nick, we have next week off when it comes to UFC events, and if there's some major news, we'll we'll do another episode next week. But in the meantime, let's quickly uh, talk about what's coming up. We have UFC Fight Night Overeem versus Volkov coming up on February 6th, which is uh, a couple of weeks from this last card in the main event. Obviously, Alistair Overeem versus Alexander Volkov, kind of an up-and-comer who's seen it all versus a super veteran who's seen it all. Corey Sanhagen, Frankie Edgar, another kind of prospect, Aye. top contender versus old guard matchup. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, we Nicole Montana, who's a former champion, facing Carol Rosso, another prospect versus versus old guard matchup. Diego Ferreira, who's a prospect versus Benil Benildar, who's a little bit of the old guard, but in prospect territory at this point in his career. Quick
1: question, quick piece of trivia. Yeah, I believe yeah. That there's aren't there two two women who have been crown champion and and did not defend their title. What? Yes. Um I can
0: name them both Nikolai. No,
1: yeah, yeah. Well Man- me and and Nico Montoya. Nico Montana. How many men ma- yep. what men have how many men are guilty of that? I guess Connor didn't defend one forty five, did he?
0: Connor didn't defend either title.
1: Oh yeah, yeah.
0: Um, outside of Connor, who just chose not to defend, I can't I can't think of anyone right now, but I'm sure there's somebody in the history yeah, of UFC. Be. I think I think um, I think it was J- uh, Josh Barnett who left the UFC as champion back in the day. So I-, I guess that should count, right? But that was like like pre-modern era UFC. Yeah,
1: Jen's, uh, I don't think Jen's, Jens Pulver might not have. I think Jens Pulver left after, B- after he beat BJ Penn.
0: I, th- I think you're right. I think they closed the division after he beat BJ Penn. I, I think you're right about that. Yeah, that makes sense to me. You're-, you're right. There are a couple of examples. But with Nico Montana and Jermaine Dermandomy, there were just clearly cases where neither of those girls wanted to fight uh, Valentina Shevchenko or Amanda or, I'm sorry, or Cyborg oh, respectively, right? Like they I'm- they were just scared of those opponents and did not want to face them under any circumstances.
1: I'm totally wrong. I'm totally wrong. Pulver won against Kyle Uno, then beat uh, Dennis Hallman. And then BJ was the challenger that night. I forgot that.
0: And BJ beat him, or he beat BJ in a five round fight. He beat, right? He
1: beat, he beat BJ in a five round fight when BJ, when Pulver was champ was defending, and then he left after that. But he had to. Def- but he had defended – he left as champion, but he had defended previously. That was a defense. Yeah, yeah,
0: that, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that was actually a defense. But he did technically end his reign without losing the title, which which is also kind of a piece of trivia in itself. I do want to quickly mention a couple of other fights. Pantoja's coming back against uh, Manel Cape, who I'm not familiar with. Cody Stamen, Andre Ewell is interesting enough. Molly McCann, I know she's a favorite of yours, is coming back. Macy Chazon versus Marion Renow. A lot of these uh, young prospect versus old veteran matchups. Um, and, yeah, Julio Ars, Timur Valiev is an interesting matchup. Michael Johnson's coming back against Clay Guida. A couple of old guard fighters. Devontae Smith, Alex Da Silva, two prospects facing each other. Yeah, there's definitely something to look forward to on this card. And as of right now, Nick, I'm counting. One, two, three, six... 9, 10, 11, 12, I think 14 or 15 fights. So uh, I'm sure they're expecting a couple of these to go away. We're going to end up with an 11 or 12 fight card.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's just the way it's going every week
0: yeah yeah it really is and i'm glad they're planning ahead by by maybe adding a couple of extra fights onto there definitely some meat on the bone i don't know if we're going to get into all 14 fights in our next uh, in our breakdown episode for this event but i definitely think there are some names worth breaking now maybe we'll pick eight to ten of the best matchups and uh, and do our draft competition that way nick what do you think
1: yeah i think that that works for me and then you've got a pay-per-view card uh, afterwards it's just that's pretty loaded frankly
0: what is coming up then? Let's see. Is yeah, that the meeting a week Burns, after? Yeah, it is. Why Hall, oh, yeah.
1: which I don't agree with is the co main event. I think that should be like a prelim, but whatever. Uh Macy Barber, I don't return, know who you put Barber.
0: above them. Yep.
1: Uh, into uh, that. I would put I would put uh I would put Munoz Jimmy Rivera above them. I would possibly put Gas and Hynate. Well,
0: as far as name recognition, I think, but I agree with you. As far as rankings, there's definitely several fighters that are way above these two. Uh, I think it's purely name recognition is why is why it's that matchup. Yeah,
1: it's just name. It's name. Yeah, there's a form. Yeah, it's a former champ, I suppose. Yeah. Um, Versus a
0: guy who just came off a win over Anderson Silva. You know, th- there's definitely some recognition there.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's true. Are you It's a, tw- it's a twelve. It's a twelve and a nine. We somehow. This site can't be right. It's listing Jimmy Rivera as number 50, 58 in world topology. Is listing Jimmy Rivera as the number 58 featherweight in the world. I don't think that's possible.
0: Um, I, Yeah, I, I don't think that makes sense. And certainly, I mean, he's what? two and three in his last five. But if we if we count it that way, Conor McGregor should be like number 92 at lightweight.
1: How is that not an error? It's got to be an error.
0: They yeah got... it probably is also I'm not sure how they aggregate their rankings I wonder if but they're they usually pretty they're,
1: they're usually pretty very I mean they got they have them they have way behind uh, Bruce Leroy and Gigi Chikaze and AJ McKee jr. and Herbert burns
0: Cody Stamen is coming off of a loss to him and he's number forty nine
1: that doesn't make any sense but how how is how are all those guys behind Korean superboy? Like it's very weird, me.
0: Oh I, yeah, yeah. It's abso- absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, it seems like topology rankings might make even less sense than the UFC.
1: I think Jimmy Rivera should be ranked ahead of Shane Burgos right now, and possibly ahead of Dan Egan. But
0: um, uh, yeah, I'm. I, I'm not. Uh, I'm not necessarily disagreeing. Certainly within that range. Certainly not at number 58. That's absolutely I mean, he's ridiculous. He's only
1: There's, 31 years old. His losses are to Jan Sterling and Morais. Like. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's yeah, <laughs> I'm, I,
0: I'm, I'm there with you. I, it's, it's got to be some sort of a mistake. I wouldn't, I wouldn't too, put too much uh, weight into yeah, that. Just weird. Nikolai, that will do it for this episode. I'm glad we got to break down and dice up this UFC 257 card. Looking forward to connecting with you on our next episode, buddy. Have a great week, man.
1: I'll do my, I'll do my best, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Take care, buddy.
0: Bye.